Welcome to Men in Charge. I'm Tony Flynn. And I'm Kevin Decker. Welcome to Season 11, Episode 25, Tony and Kevin's One Man Show. That's right. Kevin and I are doing this as only two men can, in a one-man way. That's right. Kevin, uh, could you explain to me your sense of our collective singularity? I, you know, I think the idea... Our pairing into unity? Yeah, we've turned from particulars into a universal, as Hegel would say. I think the idea <laughs> is we both committed to making half of an effort today. And so, <laughs> together, it's tolerable. We're each of us about 40%. Right. Right. So we're and not remaining, quite tall enough to the, do this ride. Exactly. The remaining 5% is just audio brilliance that somebody <laughs> else threw in here. And the so. other remaining 15% is, well, just background noise, a typical show. Yeah, that's right. We should have done a show that was all white noise. Okay, but a lot of our, our listeners who are people of color have already called it Oh, yeah, white that's noise. true. We're yeah. both um, pretty white and unashamedly not proud of that. No, not proud of it because we're also pale. So there's no beach-kissed sun duskiness in, in to fact, our skin to make very us little of the skin has been kissed, and um, yeah. and nobody has insisted that it be otherwise. But I think our current winter pallor in the sunlight, people would need to put on sunglasses. Yeah, that's probably the glare. true. Yeah. Either they're glaring at us or we're glaring at them, but there's glare. Hey, here's a funny thing we could do. Let's tell the listener what our sketches for today <laughs> are. <laughs> Let's. As Kevin's been saying for many episodes now, this is a vestigial season and our enthusiasm has grown like moss over the week. We've also had a lot of technical issues and sickness as we grind closer to the end of the season. And I got to tell you, just today, Tony and I were pulling each other's hair out. That was kind of right. intimate. But the computer tied to our microphones here was not working. And while we were waiting for service, we were almost going to, what, use Zencaster, which is the tool that we use to record from our homes, to record in the studio together with each other. So if that isn't yeah. messed up, I don't know. What. It is. It's, it's silly. It's like just hanging out at a bus station instead of going on a trip. You could be at home, but you go to the bus station and sit in the chair and go vroom, vroom. Yeah, either that or watch the little TVs that some bus stations used to have mounted right on the... Have you ever seen this? Yes, but on I On the was, edge of a chair. I never had a quarter to play no, them. I never had a quarter And either. besides, my parents wouldn't have permitted it. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have Even either. when I was in my 40s, they forbade it. Well, it was probably a good idea because look at how you turned out. Basically a vestigial presence in a vestigial show. But... We should explain then why we've devolved into a one-man show. And I think I'm going to turn over the explanatoriness to you, Kevin. Well, there's a whole background to doing this on certain British talk shows where questions from the audience are stuffed into a little barrel or a fake TARDIS or a -a Build-A-Bear or something. And then, you know, the star that's being interviewed, like us, we're stars, right? We're stars. Yeah. (laughs) Just not the kind you're thinking We're the biggest celebrities in the studio we right are. now. In the region of lower heights, we command. Anyway, Tony and I have generated questions for each other, some of which are poignant, some of which are stupid, and we don't know what each other's questions are, but we're going to answer each other's questions and, to the and, best of our ability. And one more thing about the provenance of the questions. Usually, as you mentioned, Kevin, 
British people would send in questions. <laughs> we have no British <laughs> listeners, no, we so no. we were out of luck. Right. I think we may be out of listeners. I did get one sent in on our men in charge at FedEx.com email address that said, will you be taking your brawlies today? And I have no idea what that means. So we're not going to use that one. If we don't want to be accused of taking anyone's brawlies because, no. you know. If you're in Britain, you need that permanently. You, you need them. And then people with wigs would be making you stand in the dock. True. So we have a bunch of questions which are going to help you now that the show's pretty much over. Really get to know us a lot, a lot better. <laughs> Which is to no purpose. The right. other thing to remember is when we say the show's about over, you're looking at your watches. We can see you listeners. Yeah. Look at your phone, not your watch. Yeah. Okay. Why do we say hair loss instead of skin gain? Wow. I think the answer to it is we need to change our practices as a people. I'm not gaining more skin, right? Do we have to parse that a little bit? Well, are we losing hair? I think we're not making a very good truth claim here just by shifting the... We're skin revealing rather than technically getting more skin. But I think it could be tweaked to make us look really good. Okay, but we don't want to pretend that reveal is a noun because it's not. No, it's not. Well, we could make it revelation and give it some biblical context. Skin revelation. Moses came down from the mountain and he said, God has told me to reveal more skin in a skin revelation. Online pornography. Yeah, there you go. That's right. Okay, now I have a semi-serious one, but that ties into a lot of previous banter that we've flogged on this program. We've talked a lot about bizarre things that have happened to me that have never happened to you. So my semi-serious question for you is, what's one experience from your youth that you're pretty sure Kevin has never had in his? Okay. Turning the tables. I watched a calf die, and it was on my watch. Really? That was a tiny calf if it was dying on your watch. (laughs) I'm sorry. There are animal husbandry experts out there right now who are saying that joke was in poor taste. It was because I was charged by a neighbor back when I lived far from anything in the early 60s. And for some reason, he didn't load the calf into the back of the pickup. He tied the calf to the back of the pickup on a rope, and then the calf was going to walk, and he was driving slowly, and I Uh was in the back of the pickup. I didn't volunteer for this, but I did it. And he wanted me to tell him if the calf slipped and fell, and I said, okay, I'll do it. And then I watched him, and he was going slowly, and then my attention wandered, and then I turned back, and he had slipped and fallen. I can't believe I'm telling you this. Yeah. And then I was too scared to tell the guy. Oh. And then when we stopped, he saw what had happened and yelled at me and had to shoot the calf. Did That's that ever hor- happen to you? No, that didn't happen to me. I've had animals die on me before, but not in such a horrifying way that, frankly, there's no way to make funny. No, there isn't. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the problem was that there was a great moral pressure on me that I wasn't equipped to uh, how engage old, in. How I old was were 10. you when that happens? Yeah, that's... My beard hadn't come in even then. I mean, I had no... Um, The guy was surly to start with, and I think my parents sent him to me because we were one child too many in my house. And um, why I was the one child who was too many (laughs) baffles me. So that explains a lot why whenever we record on or near a farm, and we've done it a few times. Oh, yeah, we've had our farm days. You do seem especially attentive to the needs of calves, and I've seen you take sugar, for example. Um, you should use cubes rather than just pour a whole sack yeah, into your pocket. Yeah, and not one of the pocket. non-dairy sweeteners. Yeah, um, but, but, you know, 
that calf's misfortune turned out to be a, a lifetime quest for you to make calves feel better about their imprisonment. Though probably the sugar is carcinogenic. Yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen and others, I think the moral of this poignant story is if somebody is trying to tie you to the back of a truck with a rope and have you trot along behind it, resist. Yeah, or yeah. make sure I'm not in yeah, the truck bed because my attention will flag and you'll have to be put down. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We'll be right back with Tony and Kevin's one-man show after this. Men in charge, shut up. We're not looking for counterexamples. Okay, Kevin, it's my turn for a question. Okay. We know you have one brother who claims to be named Keith. Right. But what's the name of your second non-existent brother, and where does he live? You know, my family's deeply German on both sides, and the farther back you go, the more unpronounceable the first names are for both men and women. So I feel like there would be an Ulrich or a Werner or something, and that would be... Werner, because in America, they, everybody would be like, hey, Werner, Werner Decker, where are you? Werner Decker's not a good name. But no. In any case, I'm going to jettison those two names and go with Marvin, because that's just much more fun. And yeah. does he live in Germany? Uh, he lives in Germany. He somehow ended up there, even though he was born here. I think uh, he was not good looking, unlike me. He had to go I'm, over I'm... to Germany, you know, because <laughs> of his, you know, face. I'm not saying that Germans don't look good. There are some really good-looking Germans. Some of them are way too good-looking. Yes, but my brother fits in much better over there. He's a wheat farmer, but he sells most of his wheat to be used to make whiskey. So good. we like him. Like the bottle that you gave me for my birthday. There Thank you go. You. It was the finest whiskey in Dusseldorf. <laughs> <laughs> and that's pretty good for someone who doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Okay, Kevin, I've girded the loins. Yeah. I've tightened the belt in a painful way around you the loins. You sure have. Give me your next question. Yeah, so this is going to be a tough one because it's going to test your knowledge of 60s music. How would your name sound if it was run through the name game song? You know that song? <laughs> I do. You it know was that a hateful song? thing. They did the... Um, Tony, baloney, banana, panna, faux, yeah, phony, yeah. Mm-hmm. and then they threw rocks. Yeah. <laughs> You know, to me, this is maybe a subsidiary question to that one. The name game has always seemed like a really artificial song to me because people will sing about love or heartbreak or calves that died on their watch or whatever. That's very cruel. But, <laughs> but what's this song about? Hey, folks, there's a game using names that we just made up right now that we want you to mash potato to. I mean, it's too many levels of meaning. This is why we left the early 60s behind. Yeah. And I think you've sinned against American culture by reawakening that game because now it's going to be earworming in people's heads. If it is, please send us a donation right now. We don't know how much or what it's for. Or what you'll be donating and whether that's something Uh we want or not. Okay, here's a related one, and it's tied in with the name of our episode. We have second bananas, but no first bananas. Mm-hmm. Why? And it's our show. Why are we both 
second bananas. Oh, my gosh. This is a question that you don't want to get on one of Tony's final exams, mm-hmm. right, uh, when he used to give them. Wow, why are there no first bananas? Do we have an analogous situation in which, for example, there's a first, well, there are first ladies. By the way, can I just say here right now on the program, I just want to make this clear that I think Monica Lewinsky is a fantastic individual who's done an amazing amount of stuff with her life after she was dragged down by that scandal. I just want to say that. I want to say that too, and I can remember that she went to the same college as our writer and performer, Scott Herrick. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Uh, He was out before her. Long before, before because there's a generation between. Yeah. How are we both second bananas? Well, if there are no first bananas, then ultimately the two people who rise to the top of any organization would have to be second bananas. So I think that there's just a tautology there in your second question. I think most of my questions take us to tautology. Yeah. As a follow-up, are tautologies really all of that taught? I guess they are because they're tied to each other. And if you tug them apart, you know, you get something there's your hands are sticky and they're the opposite of very loose sentence where the two parts of it let's say the subject and predicate don't have any clear connection with each other like the polar bear smelled blue well synesthesia is a legitimate um but amongst polar word bears, to use i don't think there's a lot of data on that no and we're running out of polar bears so yeah. who cares right yeah. ultimately who cares yeah it'll yeah. be a question that goes unanswered How about if I give you another one that probably is is a quick answer for you? What ingredients go into splatch baked with niffle? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's a wonderful reference to one of our Rocket to the Future dramas. Yeah, splatch with niffle. Largely, it's Mm carcass-based, but they're of Martian animals. Uh It's really bone chips and boiled gristle. Okay. Flavored with dust. And so this explains why most humans who eat it don't survive. Or at least they keel over. Right. I wanted to ask that question because friend of the show, Todd, who works at Eastern Washington University, works for food services, has always been wanting to get the recipe. So (laughs) this is a shout out to you, Todd. And thanks for listening to Men in Charge. And thanks for asking. Because when I conceived of Splatch with Niffle, I had no idea. Okay, here's one that I want you to jump on. Quick answer. All right. If your glass is half full, does your cup runneth only half over? Now think about what it means Mm. for a cup to runneth half over. Does it? Well, a cup running fulleth over is both to signify the bounty of stuff. But I like the concept of the cup, what, half running over? Yeah, it runneth only half over. It runneth half over. And so the idea is somebody points that out to you and you go, yeah, but it's really nothing more than half of a cup of something I didn't want to drink anyway. So in other words, it's a half cup that you put in half a cup and therefore it would run over because you'd spill. If you have half the cup cut vertically, I think that you've identified something that all good skeptics and cynics need to integrate into their vocabulary. Because, you know, it sounds great. It sounds like we should all be excited. God has delivered us manna or at least beer. But in reality, we just have this half cup of something that is cold and limpid and we don't want to touch it. Right. It's bacon fat that's been left out. And so it runneth. 
Okay, you can ask me one now. Here's another one that will hopefully have you reflect on your past, Tony. Who played Lois Lane the best? <laughs> Who played Lois Lane the best? There have been so many. I got an answer myself, which is a surprising one, but I want to hear yours first. Lois Lane, I was pretty pleased with Margot Kidder. Yeah. She had a fetching, bizarre, drug-addled, unhappy life. She was a a sparky presence. And I like the fact that super pure all-American Superman in those Margot Kidder movies was uh, perfectly happy to date a smoker because she was a profuse smoker in Superman and Superman 2. Yeah, and the smoking wasn't the best quality. No, it wasn't. But it showed tolerance on his side. He's like, there's a lot of earthlings that I can date who aren't smokers, but, you know, maybe I can help this one. She's handy and then cute as a button. That's right. An unconventional beauty. Now, I actually grew up watching the black and white Superman serial show. I uh, did too, and I'm 14 years older than you. And Noelle Neal played Lois Lane there. She and was one of them. She was one of them. There, there were, were multiple Lois ones Lanes okay. in that Superman. Okay, you have bested me, sir. I'm, on I'm your elder. Superman trivia. But when Noelle Neal showed up as a cameo in Superman the movie in the late 70s, I was just tickled pink. They normally didn't do that as in movies, and they were like, we're going to invoke the old show with this. But they did cameos in 78 in The Body Snatchers when Kevin McCarthy, not the laughable leader of the uh, Republican House, but yeah, he came on and said- How great is Kevin McCarthy- at expressing just pure terror. Oh, the actor Kevin McCarthy. Yeah, the actor. He was Kevin very McCarthy, good. Yeah. And good in the first one. And we've strayed from our question. We have. We're going to pause now and get back to you after some pointless music and sound effects. Men in charge. You know you're on the radio now, right? Well, we're back, and it's my turn to ask Kevin a question. What comes before antipasto? I mean, strictly speaking, ordering antipasto comes before antipasto. But is there anything to eat before antipasto? There might be some slightly stale bread that has been on the table all day. And maybe Uh, a withered flap of lettuce. (laughs) Isn't antipasto great, though? And I'm talking about traditional Italian antipasto. Oh, yeah. I could just make a meal out of that. (laughs) So you never get to the pasta. No, it's just (laughs) Just my pasta. Just the That's right. Yeah, everything is prefatory. All right, here's a tough one. It's radio related. Uh Uh-oh. We have AM and FM and, of course, AM and PM. Does FM know about PM? Well, I mean, it must, right? Because radio waves travel through anything. So one thing that a radio wave could be doing right now, in fact, to our listeners, is going through the brain case and searching through all time-indexed memories to find the ones that have PM on, you know, or PM (laughs) all over them. I I think you're right. Finally, (laughs) a difficult question has been answered. What do you have for me? Well, this is one that, you know, you don't have to answer if you want, but I think listeners want to know, and I certainly do. What is it that you have against Belgium? I I don't hate Belgium, but I, well, when I was a kid, 12 and 13, the entire family, even the extra one, me, we moved to France to live where we could become what my father liked to call more interesting people. Oh, okay. And I just remember on the train after we got off at some chunk of the European continent and went through Belgium. 
and it was gray mm. and flat and dull, mm-hmm. and people were hunched and surly. And then when we got to France, the girls and women were gorgeous. Yeah. And there was light and sunshine in hills and valleys. Yeah. So it's sad about Belgium. And honestly, this show really you could interpret as, as a love letter or maybe a hate letter to Belgium because we have focused on it so much. Yeah. We clearly love Belgium or we wouldn't complain so much about it. That's right. And I would challenge the listener to go back and listen to all the previous programs of ours, counting the number of mentions and compare it to your other favorite NPR show. You won't find as many mentions. Anywhere. No, they're the real Belgium void. Right in national public radio. That could be a good title if we were going to keep making the show, which we're not. No, we can't be bothered. We have a lot of television to watch. That's right. Okay, let me ask you, 7-Eleven, 747-7-Up, solve for seven. Okay, so again, the terms are 7-Eleven, 747-7-Up. I'm going to say Jeffrey Holder, who's, yes. The, yes, yes. who's the crisp and clean and no caffeine <laughs> guy for the 7-Eleven I think you've nailed it. I mean, you know, he must have flown on a plane to record Live and Let Die with the inimitable Roger Moore. We know that he advertised 7-Up. And is it reasonable that he never walked into a 7-Eleven? It's not reasonable. That is a great question. Well, thank and, you. And listeners, you should have seen how Tony's face lit up. When I mentioned Jeffrey Holder, who just I, just brings joy in every role that he's played, I think. I'd like to meet him. Yeah, <laughs> I would. Yeah, just the emotional poverty of not having met him right. uh, makes me want to lie down. Here's, a Tony, a professional question for you. Since you're a doctor, have you ever had to carry out a trepanation on someone, and did they recover? Well, if you mean hitting someone with a piece of broken brick in a sock, oh, yeah. And no, I guess they that didn't. qualifies. That's a back alley trepanation is what you yeah. just described. Right, because that's yeah. the only way I won yeah. any fight. In the darkness <laughs> with a brick okay. in a sock. Okay, here's a cruel one for you. All right. Which hand do you use for a radio wave? Which hand do I personally use, yeah. not should one use yeah, right, for a radio wave? But presumably as a professional and a doctor. Yeah. Your example should be followed by the listener. Yeah. Every time I have examined old videotapes of, say, the Pope or the Queen. Or Neil uh, Diamond. Or Neil Diamond. The little wave is almost always done with the right hand just creating a kind of shell-like shape and then just from the wrist. Kevin's doing this I'm doing as he it speaks. right now. You can, can you see, see it? Yeah. Radio is the most visual of mediums. So that would mean that I would reject what the dominant class would do with that. And I would instead be a resistor by using my left hand splayed out and probably waving in a manner like back in front. Where somebody's mm-hmm. like, is he waving or is there danger? Or is he pushing like air away from pushing. him? So you'll know if it's a radio wave coming from Kevin, depending upon the degree of fingers splayed him. That's right. All right. Give me one. This one's uh, pretty easy. You got three choices. Men in charge, man, myth, or monster. Yes. Okay. Okay, Maybe my turn for a very question. very inclusive. What if, like most Americans, you can't afford bootstraps? Yeah, so you can't pull yourself up by something that you can't afford. Is making bootstraps out of something an option? Like, for example, I walk into the alley where you've just done a back alley trepanation, and there's a body there. Now, nobody has claimed this body. That I assume that you grabbed the wallet. Before. Yes. Yeah, sure. 
Yeah, of course. So, you know, here we have a source of leather. So I pull off his shoes and I cut the shoes apart and now I've got bootstraps. Did you think that I was going to make leather out of this person? That's terrible, <laughs> listener. That is your way. I cannot way. believe you. It is my way. It's not, true. it's not as if you haven't done that before. Here's a vaguely serious question that I hope that you can answer. One of the things that really has been a, a gift working on Men in Charge with you for these many years is the ability to really appreciate comedy, including our own comedy, more, and to kind of see the structure of it, see how it works and how it doesn't work. And so in your opinion, what is the funniest film in existence? And you can say the Zabruder film. Um, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. It's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you have an actual funniest intended film? for comedy film that you like? Uh, hmm. If it's not the film on my glasses, no. Could be a film strip, like we have talked about many times on the show. Film strip. Beep. Turn the page. (laughs) I know. The funniest film. Nope, I've never seen the funniest film. No, you've never seen the funniest film. (laughs) No, I haven't. Here's a a fun thing. You could just say whether you've had this experience before. The more experience that you get of answering questions like that – the more I have started to say, well, the film that I would like you to see that I think is funny for just about anybody is this one. Mm -hmm. But my favorite, which may not be other people's favorite funniest film, is this one, right? And the one that I would recommend and the one that I hold dearest are not necessarily the same. Like I increasingly have students in my philosophy classes who don't get Monty Python. I immediately order them to leave they usually stay, unfortunately. No. Mine would have fled if encouraged yeah. to like yeah. that. Yeah. If humans are at the top of the food chain, why do we have only two legs? So the question seems to be assuming that something at the top of the food chain would theoretically be able to get away from everything else quickly. Like something like a millipede should be at the top of the food chain because something with that many legs would be able to get away from anything else on the food chain and therefore be at the top. The millipede might be more vulnerable because oh. all the legs have to keep up. Oh, we no, only have two true. legs to keep up yeah. when we flee or attack. I think that one of the greatest evolutionary advancements that human beings have that many animals don't is cowardice. And so the ability to flee, even a fight we could probably win, we can get away from. Even if it's dark and there's a sock and a piece of broken brick. That's right. Now, if you change the context and you have us on a boat snorkeling and the boat leaves, and now there's a lot of stuff like mackerel and barracudas and maybe even sharks that would top us. Even the little butterfish, because as we drown and the body bloats, they'd be nibbling away. And they already start before we're dead by eating scabs, if you have any on your legs. Or if you don't, you will. Well, these are jolly images. (laughs) Yeah. No wonder we're uh, ending the show. (laughs) Have you ever, unbeknownst to yourself, stolen a Christmas tree from a lot? I have. (laughs) (laughs) No. Any thefts of mine have been deliberate and purposeful. Okay. All right. That's good to hear. That's an honest theft. Not one of these cowardly fleeing thefts of yours. No. Here's how you do it, if you want, listener. You go with somebody else, two people to the lot, and then after the tree is loaded in, you ask each other, I assume you paid for that. And when both of you say no, you've stolen a Christmas tree. It's the spirit of the season. You know the um, wonderful saying, 
Red sky at morning, sailor take warning. Red sky at night, sailor's delight. Mm -hmm. In what way does the sunset clause affect this saying? I think the sunset clause, if in effect, means don't sail at all because there's no way to know whether you've got red light, green light, yellow light, whatever. Could there be a fourth light, for example, like a purple <laughs> there are light? Well, five we lights. There are five lights, right? <laughs> the other thing to think about here is if there's a yeah. sunset clause, it means the um, saying is moot. After a period yeah, of time, the whole thing is moot. just night all right. the time, and we right. die. Well, Kevin, it's time to thank the cast. <laughs> yeah. like, thank you, Tony. <laughs> we'd like to thank Kevin Decker and the Tony Flynn. And the writers for today were nobody because this was all ad lib. I know you can't believe it, but yes, it was. Well, I'd like to credit a couple of people. They were the source of some of these questions. Oh, okay. Ann Porter, Scott Herrick, and Nancy Roth. That's nice. I should thank my dog, Ella, who was with me when I wrote my questions on my phone. And we do have to thank those who support us in one way or the other here at the station. Yes, we'd also like to thank the four who don't even look up from their phones when we come in. Carrie Boyce, Vern Windham, Nisha Schramm, Nancy Roth, Savannah Rothy, and... The man who always skips lunch to make room for a second breakfast, Brian Lindsay. 